Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 30th. In today's news, a mole inside the ISIS founder's compound could get up to $25 million in reward money. WhatsApp files a lawsuit against an Israeli surveillance company for allegedly using its product to hack into mobile devices. And a payday lending executive says giving cash to the GOP gets him access at the White House. But first, the big idea. President Trump and his allies on television lashed out yesterday at Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman as he testified under oath on Capitol Hill for more than 10 hours. Vindman, the top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, said he was listening in on that July 25th phone call between Trump and Ukraine's president from the Situation Room. Vindman says he was so worried about Trump's request that Volodymyr Zelensky investigate his political foes that he reported it immediately to the NSC's top lawyer. Vindman also testified that that rough transcript of the call, which was released by the White House, is incomplete and omits material information related to the conduct being investigated. This helps explain why there were so many suspicious ellipses. Vindman also testified that he tried to edit the transcript but was unable to do so. One of the key omissions is that Vindman recalls Zelensky specifically referencing the Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma when Trump pushed him to investigate a company related to Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Burisma does not appear in the transcript, but Vindman testified that it definitely came up. Vindman also remembers Trump going on during the call about how Joe Biden was on tape boasting about holding up Ukraine funds. None of that was in the transcript. Trump dismissed Vindman yesterday as a never-Trumper who's out to get him. But there's absolutely no evidence that he's a never-Trumper or that he is motivated in any way by partisanship. Meanwhile, the president's allies on Fox News and elsewhere questioned the patriotism of an Army combat veteran who earned the Purple Heart after getting wounded in Iraq. They say that his family fled the Soviet Union when he was three years old and that that raises questions about his patriotism. Never mind that the First Lady wasn't born in the United States either. Trump's personal attacks on yet another war hero unnerved many Republicans in Congress, with several pushing back pretty hard. There were the usual suspects, like Mitt Romney, who said Trump's attacks were misplaced and very unfortunate. But even Liz Cheney and Mitch McConnell said it was wrong to question Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's patriotism. This response created a pretty unusual dynamic in which Republicans were defending a man who was simultaneously behind closed doors, accusing the president of undermining national security for his own political and personal purposes. Privately, several Republicans told us that Vindman's testimony was damaging, and they lamented that once again they're being forced to defend the president's conduct in public. Vindman's sworn testimony also further undercuts Gordon Sunland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU. He testified that no one ever pushed back on what he was up to. Vindman says he did. Today will be another big day for investigators. Two career diplomats will testify before House investigators that Trump displayed a deeply pessimistic view of Ukraine that was out of step with officials at the White House and State Department who saw support for the European country as critical in its battle with Russian-backed separatists. The State Department officials, Catherine Croft and Christopher Anderson, 
will say their optimistic view of Zelensky clashed with a darker outlook of the new government held by Trump and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who was running the shadow foreign policy. Anderson, a career foreign service officer, will detail multiple efforts by U.S. officials to demonstrate support for Ukraine, only to be batted down by the White House, including, and this is new, after Russian forces under the command of Vladimir Putin attacked and seized Ukrainian military vessels in the Sea of Azov in 2018. The State Department quickly prepared a statement condemning Russia for its escalation and illegal activity. But senior officials in the White House blocked the State Department from issuing the statement. Croft, who worked on Ukraine issues at the White House and the State Department, will say that throughout her time in the Trump administration, she heard the president describe Ukraine as a corrupt country, both directly and indirectly. Across the Capitol, Senate Democrats are plotting their own offensive on Trump and his dealings with Ukraine. They will use a Senate Foreign Relations Committee confirmation hearing today to press Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan on why he issued the order to recall former ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch. Sullivan is Trump's nominee to be the new U.S. ambassador to Russia. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, an Islamic State defector inside Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's hideout was critical to the success of the raid that killed the ISIS founder and commander. The mole's detailed knowledge of Baghdadi's whereabouts, as well as the room-by-room layout of his sanctuary, proved critical when the troops went in. The informant was present during the assault on the compound in the Syrian province of Idlib, and he was exfiltrated from the region two days later with his family. The man, whose nationality hasn't been revealed, is expected to receive some or potentially all of the $25 million U.S. bounty that had been placed on Baghdadi's head. One official tells us that he was a Sunni Arab who turned against the Islamic State because one of his relatives was killed by the group. The Islamic State defector had been cultivated as an asset by the Syrian Democratic Forces. Those are our Kurdish allies who the president betrayed in recent weeks. Meanwhile, dread is descending upon Syria during the final hours of the ceasefire as American troops continue to evacuate. In towns and cities, Families are debating and sometimes fighting over whether and where to run. Selling their houses to pay for the help of unpredictable smugglers is one option. Moving closer to the Iraqi border, where thousands of refugees have already crossed, and then praying the violence won't follow, is another. While U.S. troops withdrew to the south and out of the area where they'd long kept the peace, Russian military police moved in. Under an agreement reached last week between the Russians and the Turks, the Russian forces are now patrolling the border. At times, American and Russian armored vehicles have been passing each other on the road, according to our troops who are there. Each is flying their own red, white, and blue flags flapping in the wind. But very different goals. Number two, the messaging service WhatsApp filed a lawsuit in federal court yesterday against the Israeli surveillance company NSO, claiming that it acted illegally in helping governments hack into the mobile devices of more than 100 people worldwide across at least 20 countries. Targets included religious figures, human rights workers, feminists, lawyers, and journalists. The suit amounts to a new legal front and attempts to curb the abuses of the burgeoning but almost entirely unregulated global surveillance industry. 
Victims of hacking previously have sued NSO in Israeli courts, but a technology company has not before pursued such legal actions for using its own services to help conduct spying operations on its users. WhatsApp alleges that NSO has helped government agencies deliver malicious software through seemingly harmless WhatsApp video calls, even if the targets never even answered their phones. The malware was capable of initiating a powerful form of spying that included the ability to intercept all communications, steal photos and other forms of data, activate microphones and cameras on the phone, and track the locations of targets, and more. An NSO surveillance tool called Pegasus has been implicated in the spying on Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi before he was murdered by people affiliated with Saudi Arabia's security services last year. A friend of Khashoggi, Omar Abdul Aziz, has alleged in his own lawsuit that his phone was infected with Pegasus without his knowledge and that the malicious software helped the Saudis snoop on Khashoggi. NSO rejected the allegations in that lawsuit and this new lawsuit. They say their technology is used by governments and law enforcement to fight terrorism. The company says it will respond in the strongest possible terms and vigorously fight the lawsuit. Number three, speaking of another underregulated industry, payday lenders are raising money for Trump's campaign so that they can roll back rules designed to limit some of their most predatory behavior. Billing himself as one of the president's top fundraisers, Michael Hodges told fellow payday lenders during a webinar that industry contributions to the president's reelection campaign can and will be leveraged to gain access to the Trump administration. Hodges is the founder of Advance Financial, one of the country's largest payday lenders. He said during a 48-minute webcast that was posted on YouTube until we asked about it and then they took it down, that he has gone to Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the Republican National Committee, and said, quote, Ronna, I need help on something. He added that she's been able to call over to the White House and say, quote, hey, we have one of our large givers. They need an audience. They need to be heard and you need to listen to them. The industry is awaiting new rules that are being written to weaken requirements that were imposed by the Obama administration. Hodges and three other industry insiders said during their talk that Elizabeth Warren is their worst nightmare and that Trump is their, quote, ultimate backstop. Hodges said that he's made about $1.25 million in campaign contributions to help Trump since he became president. He said it's gotten results and added, quote, that's how those things work. What he's describing is pay-to-play politics. The White House declined to comment. Trump's re-election committee didn't respond to requests for comment. And in a statement, the RNC doesn't deny that it arranged access for donors, including in the payday lending industry, to top White House officials to shape public policy. A spokesman for the RNC chair sent a statement that said, quote, We often will connect our supporters with other Republican officials when they have a message they would like to pass along. That's what you might call the opposite of a denial. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 30th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>